message. So, Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Uh, Lord, you are good, and you are good to us. We thank you for providing for us everything that we need. We thank you for just guiding and leading us and being a constant presence in our life. Thank you for our health, and thank you for the leadership you've placed in our nation. Uh, Father, we lift them up that you would give them wisdom uh, to do what needs to be done, uh, and that they would uh, follow you and follow your direction on what needs to be done for our nation and for our states. Uh, continue to be with our families. as your presence continue to remain upon us. Continue to give us a heart to seek after you. Uh, we ask you to be with us this morning as we walk through your word, that your spirit would be our guide, you would be our shepherd. Father, you alone would be glorified. Your will would come upon our lives. Your kingdom would be done in our lives. And we ask you to forgive us where we failed you. Uh, Lord, I, I pray right now you just move me out of the way, that everything that come out of my mouth be what you want to have said. Uh, Father, your spirit would speak to us in our homes, in our living rooms, with our families. Uh, Father, that we would feel your presence and you transforming us more into your likeness. We do ask you to forgive us where we have failed you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and give us the strength to stand against the tempter when he comes at us and with his attacks to pull us away from your presence. Uh, Lord, again, thank you for this day. We praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, as you probably know, uh, last week we began our new series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, and we began in the Gospel of John last week in John chapter 1. And we began looking at the prologue that John sets up to show up the eternal nature of who Jesus Christ is. And we're still kind of setting up this series. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 this morning. If you have your scriptures with you, I encourage you to make your way there. We'll be in verses 1 through 4. And as we get ready to dive into this morning's uh, topic about the reliability of the story of Jesus, and just think about a lot of things that we all have experienced in our life that have made an impact that we remember, uh, some vividly and some kind of get more fuzzy as time goes on. For some of us, the birth of our child or the birth of a grandchild, uh, when we've gotten married and just remembering that day. And, and I'll admit, there's parts of my wedding day and Jamie and I's wedding day that I remember very well. And there's other parts that just seems like a blur with everything that was going on. And we've all experienced things in our life, uh, whether they've happened personally or in this nation or universally. Uh, some of us remember when we heard that Elvis Presley died. I don't. That was before I was born, but some of you might. Um, we remember, I remember when I was a child and the Challenger spaceship and it was going up and out of space and I just remember watching that on the TV and that the explosion and just wondering what that meant as a child. Uh, many of us still remember vividly uh, September 11th and what happened on that morning. We can remember where we were and, and how we felt as we were hearing or seeing the news and reaching out to our loved ones and making sure that they were okay. Uh, there are many in this generation that are coming up that are going to remember 2020, the 2020 pandemic, as they were a child or in school. And they're going to remember in such a way that another generation used to remember walking to school every morning in the snow, uphill both ways. And I don't know how that works. I don't know how you walk to school uphill both ways. Uh, maybe you should find a different route when you were little, but uh, maybe it's just one big hill. But anyway... They're not going to be telling stories about walking to school in the snow uphill both ways, but they're going to be telling their kids when they have kids, you know, to appreciate being able to go to school because they're going to remember a time where they weren't able to go to school and they wanted to. The funny thing about those experiences and those events in our life that have made an impact is they have a, a, 
opportunity to become a fish story. And I'm sure you're familiar with that phrase, but if you're not, a fish story is one of those things that, you know, it may be just a small event, but as time goes on, it becomes larger. Like you caught this big of a fish, but 10 years later, it was actually this big, and you were wrestling for hours to pull it into the boat. Uh, and that can happen with a lot of things in our life that we begin taking stories and, and hearing how other people maybe tell a similar story. And so we add to it or we take away from it and, and we make it bigger than what it initially was. Kind of reminds me with this concept of playing the phone game. You remember that as a child, uh, playing the phone game? Not a socially acceptable game at the moment, but when you would get a word or a phrase or a sentence and you would pass on to the next individual and they would go on to the next individual. And by the time you got to the end of the line, you hoped the phrase or sentence that you had was the same one that came to the end of the line. And that's kind of what can happen as we go from generation to generation. Stories become... Um, a little fuzzy, uh, maybe not the exact same as what they, were, they originally were. They become skewed as from one generation to another as we begin to transfer that information. As we come into the Gospel of Luke, Luke was given this wisdom by the Holy Spirit to understand that the story of Jesus for some people is going to create issues in believing because it is an extraordinary story. It is a, a story beyond, uh, to be on conception, to be inconceivable, if you're a Princess Bride fan, uh, of, of how glorious it is and what God did through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And so to begin the gospel, Luke is led by the Spirit to begin as a, almost as a historian uh, to deliver the information, seeking out the, the information that is available through eyewitnesses and materials that were available to him, and to deliver that in the gospel that is now bearing his name. Uh, I used to love the TV show, the CSI, where those forensic scientists would help piece together bits of information in order to, to crack a case or bring a case together so they could know what would happen. And Luke, he is a physician of some sort. He takes almost a CSI method in grabbing the historical information, the eyewitness accounts, and begin piecing together the case and the reliability of the story of Jesus. So Luke is the writer of the gospel. We know that he was a companion of the apostle Paul. Uh, we know that he enters in Paul's ministries later in the book of Acts. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll catch the pronoun change that goes to we. That's when Luke becomes a part of it. He writes not only this gospel bearing his name, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And both of them are written to an individual named Theophilus, which we'll read here in a moment. We don't know much about Theophilus, except Luke describes him in verse 3 as most excellent. It may be a, a re referral to him being some sort of Roman governor or Roman official, um, but we don't know for sure. But we do know Luke takes this Greek historical aspect of the gospel in order to piece it together so that when Theophilus would read it and when other people would read it, they would be able to say, this is something that we can rely upon. This is not a fish story. This is the truth, and this is something that is meant to have an impact on our life. And though Luke may have been writing to one particular individual at a time, it is apparent as you read through the Gospel of Luke and read through the book of Acts that he had a much wider range audience in mind. Luke was making a statement through this Gospel in Acts that Christianity and the story of Jesus was to have a worldwide impact. 
So let's read our, our passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to finish in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 as we look at the reliability of the story of Jesus. And the word of the Lord says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who have from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. I don't know about you, but the more I watch the news, the more I become confused. I don't know what to believe. I can watch one news station and I receive one message. And then I turn to another news station and it's the same story and I receive the exact opposite message. And it used to be when I watched the news, I'd only become confused and question the reliability of it when it comes to the weather. But now it seems like everyone's got some sort of agenda when they bring forth the news. And I'm not trying to cause some sort of debate in your own house. What I want you to understand, I think we, we understand that as we watch the news, there's some sort of angle that they're going at. Luke's intent is to make sure that we have been given the correct information, the truth of the story of Jesus. And he wants to make sure that through the passing of this story, things don't become corrupted through passings of generations. And so Luke is led by the Holy Spirit to allow us to know the historical accuracy of the story of Jesus to which we have. He refers to the works that preceded and the work that he was led to do as a narrative. That word narrative there in verse 1 means an orderly account. It is a word that is used to refer to historical works within the Roman world. Luke wants all of his readers to understand this isn't something that he made up. This isn't like Homer's Odyssey, but this is a historical account that is compiled through other narratives or orderly accounts through personal eyewitnesses who saw the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and heard the teachings of Christ. Luke goes out to investigate these individuals. And referring to those who have undertaken to compile a narrative of things, Luke is most likely referring to the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew, which were written prior to Luke's own Gospel. As a matter of fact, when we read through Luke's Gospel, we can find 60% of what is in the Gospel of Mark to be found in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke wasn't a Jewish individual, so he didn't have that background. So he probably would have pulled a little bit from the Gospel of Matthew when it comes to the Jewish prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And then hearing the teachings of Paul and how Paul pointed to the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled that. And his time with Paul and learning what Paul learned from the apostles when Paul had time with them and hearing the teachings of Jesus, the implications of that. So Luke had all of these resources at his fingertips, but not only that, he most likely would have sought out the eyewitnesses who saw, heard, spoke with, were in the presence of Jesus Christ and asked them to tell them his, their story so he could compile this gospel in the most accurate way possible. But why is that important for us today in 2020? Because when it comes to things that are beyond belief, we need to know and we want to know that it is truth and that we can trust it, that what we're giving is accurate. You know, when this stay-at-home order is going to be lifted at some point in time, I guarantee you there's going to be some people asking others, hey, is this for real? Did this really happen? 
See, Luke, Luke understood the story of Jesus was something that was unbelievable. It was too marvelous for any human being to conceive. So he takes special care in presenting the story with accuracy. And it's important for us because it allows us to come to the Word of God and to trust what is in God's Word, the Bible, even if things are beyond explanation, even if things seem too impossible to happen. We can say, okay, this is God's Word. We know God's hand was upon this, and so I can trust my life with what God has placed in this world, Word to guide and lead me. Though Luke would have had access to the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, it is apparent when we read through the Gospel of Luke, and if you've had any Greek training, to understand the precision of Greek to which Luke uses, that he didn't go to the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and copy it word for word. And this is important because if the Gospels had been identical to each other, meaning they were word for word copies, this would have raised charges that the authors conspired among themselves to coordinate their stories in advance and that would cast doubt upon them. In other words, as we walk through the story of Jesus by looking at the Gospels chronologically, we're going to see some differences, and that's important. It allows us to know that they didn't cheat. They didn't copy from one another. They used each other, and they used those resources available. Because if they copied word for word, then all Christianity would be, would be a conspiracy. And so we move it to a larger scale. Luke was focusing on the gospel that he was led to write. And for us, we can believe the accuracy of all the scriptures and the story of Jesus because of the wealth of manuscripts which have been discovered throughout time that allow us to go back to some early manuscripts, some even coming from the very first generation of manuscripts, and be able to compare and contrast what we have today compared to what the original writer was led to write with the Holy Spirit. Lee Strobel points out in his book, The Case for Christ, that scholars Norman Geisler and William Nix concluded that the New Testament has not only survived in more manuscripts than any book from antiquity, but it has survived in a pure form than any other great book, a form that is 99.5% pure. The accuracy of the story of Jesus allows us to place our full trust and our full faith in what this story reveals. God sent his son. His name was Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. And then God's son, Jesus Christ, rose from the grave after being crucified Three days later, he rose from the grave. He walked out of the tomb so that those who placed their faith and trust in the work of Christ might be completely forgiven and guaranteed salvation, eternal life, and heaven with God. That's what we trust when we trust God's word, that God has been planning out our salvation from the beginning of time. So we mentioned last week, before sin existed, salvation ex existed. And this helps us understand what Luke is trying to point out in his introduction. Since we can trust the story of Jesus, we are therefore to be carriers of this story. I think we understand the idea of carrying something right now in our day and age, where something could be transferred from one person to another. Well, Luke says that the story that he received and that he is now writing has been delivered there in verse 2. That word delivered could be read as handed down. Luke is now handing down. He is delivering. He is transferring. He is carrying this story on to another generation who would be Theophilus and all who would read this gospel that Luke was led to write. Yet this story is meant for 
everyone to hear, for everyone to understand, for everyone to know, and everyone have the opportunity to accept the story of Jesus for themselves. Luke's intention with the gospel was to show how Jesus was not only from the Davidic line or the Davidic covenant found in the Old Testament. He was not only from the Jewish nation being a descendant of Abraham, but Jesus was for all people. He also comes from the line of Adam, as we're going to look at next week in Luke chapter 3, verse 37. He takes Jesus' family tree all the way back to Adam, who Luke refers to as the Son of God. Luke's point is to reveal that Jesus is for everyone, so the story of Jesus needs to be delivered, handed down, carried to everyone. It means the gospel has to be a transferred story from one person to another. We have to deliver it. We have to hand it to other people. This is how God delivers the story of Jesus Christ. It is through human means and human instruments, which is us, his people. Now, many people are going around in the world right now, and they're wearing masks, and they're wearing gloves, and and they want to make sure that they don't become infected. People are living in a time of fear and in a time of fear uncertainty as this disease is going around and it's changing our normal routines it's changing our wardrobes but here's the reality before COVID-19 existed we all were infected with a disease and that disease was sin and that sin is what is killing us all As doctors and medical experts scramble to find a cure or a vaccine, as believers, we already know the cure to the thing that is actually killing all of us, and that is Jesus Christ. The Bible lets us know that there are worse things in life than dying of a disease or a virus or some other thing. If we die in our sins without a salvation found in Jesus Christ, we will be eternally separated from God. And we know that because we know the story of Jesus. But we are not carriers of a virus, but we are carriers of a cure and a remedy to sin. Therefore, the gospel must be delivered. It must be handed down by God's people to to others so they can accept this story for themselves. And it's not on us whether they, they, they accept it when we tell them. We just have to be faithful to be carriers of this story. The Holy Spirit does the work. We are simply the instruments that God wants to use. And we do this because we know the accuracy of the story. We know the truth that is in God's word. And even though there are some stories that are just beyond comprehension, or we can't even figure out how that would work, we are to carry the good news of Jesus Christ and deliver it to a world that is living in fear and is desperate for hope. This is how we as God's people love God and love people. Now because of the accuracy of the story, because God has commissioned us to be carriers of the story, and we know the story is absolute truth, we are to have a conviction to the story. Look in verse 4. He's writing this that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke was led to research and write out this story so Theophilus and all that would hear it would have certainty concerning the things that they had been taught, the things that they had been instructed, the things that they had heard concerning the story of Jesus. The word certainty means to know the exact truth so we might be strengthened and encouraged. When we read the story of Jesus, when we read through the Bible, it is to build up in us a godly conviction. 
Josh McDowell writes that, defines, a, or defines a Christian conviction as being so thoroughly convinced that Christ and his word are both objectively true and relationally meaningful that you act on your beliefs regardless of the consequences. See, God has put us in a world right now that is looking for certainty. This world is looking for answers. We have political figures and highly educated individuals trying to find answers. We have people around us in our life that are searching for truth, and they don't want relative truth. See, a relative truth is something that is true for me, but may not be true for you. Peanut butter is disgusting, and bologna is awesome. That's right. Ugh. I hate peanut butter. I'm not allergic to peanuts. I actually like peanuts. I actually eat things with peanuts in it. I just can't stand peanut butter, but I love bologna. And some of y'all just heard that and be like, what is wrong with that guy? But that's a relative truth. It's true for me, but it may not be true for you. The funny thing is, is that we can become more convicted about relative truths than we do about absolute truths. For example, the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. There you go, debate, relative truth. But we get convicted about relative truths more than absolute truths. Absolute truths are truths that are true for everyone in all places at all times. We all need gravity. We all need oxygen. We all need water. We all need food. Luke's intention of writing the story of Jesus is so that we would know Jesus is not a relative truth. This is why Luke traces Jesus' family tree all the way back to Adam. It's why in the Gospel of Matthew, who's written to a Jewish audience, Matthew puts individuals in Jesus' family line who were not Jesus. The Bible wants us to... The Bible does not want us to believe that Jesus is a relative truth, but to live in the conviction that Jesus is an absolute truth. He is the truth for all people in all places at all times. And so we have to have certainty concerning the story of Jesus, that this is true for everyone that we know. And again, whether they accept it as absolute truth, that's not on us. That's the Holy Spirit which brings people to conviction and leads them to repentance to find salvation. But we are not released from being obligated to deliver this story to the people in our lives. This is what Luke points out in our role in the story. We're going to jump back into verse 2. Just as those who have from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Here's the beauty, and many of you are, are listening to this right now. Many of us, and I hope all of us, have personally witnessed and experienced the presence of God in our life. At one point in time, in, in that happening, we accepted the story of Jesus as our own story and our means of salvation. And now that we have witnessed personally the presence of God and God's love over us, just like the early believers whom Luke is referring to here and speaking of, we now become ministers of the word. That word ministers in verse 2 can also be read as servants. See, now that you and I have accepted Jesus Christ, we are now someone who is to deliver, to minister, to be a servant to the word of God, to the world. We have placed our faith in it. We have a conviction that this is absolute true. And now we are the people who are eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. 
The beauty of this is you don't have to go to a Christian university. You don't have to go to seminary to be a minister. You don't have to have a church to license or ordain you to be a minister. When you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, God gives you the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to do all things for life and godliness. And God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, has commissioned you to be a minister. That doesn't mean you need to be a preacher or you, may, you don't have to be a teacher in a Bible study class, but God has commissioned you and empowered you, enabled you to be a minister and eyewitness of his glory in this world. See, once we've accepted the story of Jesus, God ordains us as his ministers. We are his witnesses. Just listen to these passages of scripture, Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. That's the role of a minister. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, hear this, you may proclaim, preach, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, when all this stay-at-home stuff is over, and we get to go back to what we deem as normal. We gather with our friends and our families, and we get back in those social settings. We need to understand we're not just going back simply because someone said we could. We go back into those arenas of our life because God has commissioned us to be in that setting as a minister and an eyewitness of his word and the story of Jesus, which we have experienced. I believe many of us know we should be doing this, but we have a fear in how we should do this. And so let's turn to the Gospel of Mark real quick and see how we can deliver this story and the ramifications of it. The Gospel of Mark is written by an individual named John Mark. You'll encounter him in the book of Acts. He was once a, once a companion of Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. But at one point, John Mark wanted to go home and it caused a division between Paul and Barnabas to which Barnabas took John Mark with him on his own missionary journey. Well, eventually, Paul and John Mark, they reconcile, and John Mark links up with the apostle Peter, to which Peter dictated this message to John Mark to write down. Now, I love the gospel of Mark. First, because it is a gospel of action. If you just read through the first couple chapters, you see Jesus taking action immediately, at once. I also love it because it is the shortest of all the gospels, and so it can easily be read in one sitting. But John is led by the Spirit, as Peter's dictating it, to show that Jesus was a man of action, but he was a servant of God. And John's point is not to give the genealogy of Jesus. Matter of fact, some, some stories we find in other Gospels are just a, a verse or two. John's point is to get to the reason why Jesus came and how he fully served this world that is in sin. And that is through his death and his resurrection. If we struggle to transfer, to deliver, to hand down the story of Jesus, Mark's opening line, chapter 1, verse 1, can help us. Before we read, first need to remember when delivering the story of Jesus, it's not on our knowledge, it's not on our training, it's not even on our linguistic ability, but it's upon our full reliance upon the Holy Spirit to deliver, to hand down, to minister as an eyewitness the story of Jesus Christ. 
So the opening line of Mark is this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark 1.1 delivers the significance of the story of Jesus and why we should deliver it and even how we can deliver it. Like we saw last week in the Gospel of John, Mark begins with that word beginning, but Mark does it with a different intention than, God, than John was led to use. John used it to show the eternal nature of Jesus. Now we could read it, and it could take us to that place where we look in Genesis 1 and then John chapter 1, but that's not necessarily Mark's intention. Mark is giving a timestamp to the starting of Jesus' story and how Jesus was a faithful servant of God. The significance of the story is this, the beginning of the gospel. What is gospel? The word gospel means good news. It was originally associated in this time and day with the, with the worship of the Roman emperor. And what the Roman emperor would do is he would have birthdays and festivals. And so in order for the people that he was over to celebrate, he would send out individuals to give the report that this festival, this celebration is going to happen. And those individuals were known in the Roman world as evangels. They were to go throughout the land delivering the good news, the gospel, that this festival, this celebration was going to happen, and all people of the land were required to attend and celebrate along with the emperor. Christianity took this, this term, gospel and evangels, and applied it to Christianity. But we're not going throughout the land talking about a festival of celebration that is going to happen this week or next week. We're going about the land to talk about the festival and celebration that is going to come when Jesus Christ, the eternal king, returns for all his people and the kingdom of God becomes fully restored. This is the gospel. There is a God who is for us, who wants us to be with him, and he's coming soon and very soon. So we go about the land as eyewitnesses, as ministers of the word, delivering the good news that there is hope even if we look around and watch the news today and we can't find any hope. There's a future hope and a future glory that is to come. John also says the significance of the story of Jesus Christ is not just this good news or this gospel, but that Jesus Christ, Jesus was the Christ. The word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. He's saying that Jesus is the one to which God has anointed, just as John did from the very beginning of time, the one spoken of thousands of years before his birth. He is the eternal one. Jesus is the only one to which an individual can be saved and be given eternal life. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying that Jesus is the only means of salvation. And here's the good news of Jesus being the Christ. You and I do not have to hope that we are good enough to get into heaven. We do not have to hope we do enough good things in life to get into heaven. We do not have to hope people look at our lives and say, well, he's a good person or she's a good person. Because Jesus is the Christ and we place our full faith in him and what he did we can know that we will be given eternal life. We can know we are children of God, and we can know we have a place in heaven when this is all over. Gospel Mark goes on. Not just is it good news, not only is he Jesus Christ, the anointed one, but he is the Son of God. For Jesus to be the Son of God means that he is of the same nature of God and that he has equality with God. 
It means that when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about some great prophet out there. We're not talking about a moral individual. We're not talking about an individual who preached about ethics and, and led a good life or did some miraculous things in his life. We're talking about God in the flesh that came to die for the sins of the world, rose again that, the, that people could be forgiven and be given eternal life. By his resurrection, because he was the Son of God, he showed that sin has been defeated. That is the story that we represent as ministers and eyewitnesses of the word. And that's why this is not a fish story. That's why we can trust it. And that's why we have to carry it to other individuals. Some of you all know that I'm a Star Wars geek. I know I've been mentioning a lot, but to be honest with you, I've been watching a lot of Star Wars since we've been staying at home a lot. And in the newer trilogy, the very first movie of the trilogy is called The Force Awakens. Han Solo, which some of y'all may be familiar with, is having a conversation with one of the newer characters named Finn. And during the midst of that conversation, the idea of the Force gets brought up, which Finn, who's this newer character, looks at Han Solo and says, the Force is real. Or, the Force is real? It's more like that. Um, I thought it was a myth. I thought it was all made up. To which Han Solo looks at Finn and he says, it's real, kid. It's true. All of it. Han Solo, even I know it's a fictional story, but Han Solo was able to say that to Finn, who was a skeptic, because he had witnessed and experienced the power of the Force in his life. And let's amplify that. You and I have experienced and witnessed the power of Jesus Christ in our life. And there are people in our lives who are skeptical of it. But we are able to go to them because of our assurance of the word of God and what God has placed in here for our salvation to look at them and say it's real, all of it, because we experienced it and it's in us. And so we are to carry this message into this world. But perhaps you are listening right now and you have yet to accept the gospel. And so I want to give you that opportunity this morning. The gospel is this, God created you for a relationship with him. The God of the heavens and the earth who will judge the living and the dead wants to be in a relationship with you. The problem is we have sin in our life and that sin is separating us from God right now and will separate us God into eternity if that is not dealt with. And a lot of times people hear that and say, well, I'll just you know, be a good person. I'll just do good things. I'll read my Bible more. I'll go to church more. I'll watch more sermons through uh, the Internet. I'll, I'll give money to the church. But we can't remove our sin problem. We can't do enough good things to earn salvation. That's why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and rose again. And the Bible says, when I place my faith and trust in that, when I place my faith and trust in the story of Jesus, I will be saved and I will be given eternal life. You may be listening and that's something you need to do. And so I just want to lead you in a prayer and just pray these things to God, not to your screen, not to Pastor Mike. Pray these things to God. Just say, Father, I am a sinner and I am in need of your forgiveness. I believe your son Jesus was the son of God who died for my sins and rose again. And I am accepting him as my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to reach out to me. Just let me know, hey, Mike, I prayed that prayer. What do I do now? 
It's pastormike at harvesthill.org. If, if you hear this message and you're feeling kind of overwhelmed and a fear bubbling inside you about delivering this message to someone else, know this, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So that's Satan trying to hold you back. We have a great opportunity in this world in 2020 to deliver a message of hope that this world needs to hear. And God has commissioned us to carry it. I want to thank you for spending time with us this morning. I want to pray for us real quick. And Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for the power that dwells inside of us. Forgive us, Lord, when we quench that. Continue to guide and lead us that we may continue to glorify you, that the people in my lives may have the opportunity to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. And forgive me if I got in your way in any way. And praise on in the name of Jesus. Amen.